Very exciting. Good morning. In the first service, someone in their 70s said within my earshot, Jim is looking so much older. <laughs> yeah, we all are. That's the way it works. Absolutely. Oh, man. So good. Uh, we're looking forward to that, and I want to encourage you to sign up, talk to people you know, and get them signed up for fall retreat coming up in October. I was on my way in this morning, and as I was walking in, I saw through windows here in the church a couple of members of our congregation praying with each other. And then I went and set my stuff in my office and began towards the worship center, and as I was on my way in here, there were three members of our church, different members, all in a little huddle in the hallway, praying together. And after the first service, there were little pockets of prayer taking place in here, out in, out in the welcome center area out there. And I couldn't help but just be overwhelmed by how blessed I feel to be a part of this church family and the way that it loves and honors God. And I hope you feel that same way as we seek after him in prayer together and seek after him in worship together. Just a wonderful remor uh, reminder that God gave me this morning of what a blessing it is to be a part of this particular family. And, and, and I feel especially blessed that we get to meet with the living God in his word this morning. Ephesians says the word of God is the sword of the spirit. God's Holy Spirit has inspired the words that we're going to look at today. And we also pray and trust that he can be at work in our minds and hearts today so that the word of God falls heavy upon us, so that it works in us in order to bring about transformation. And I just want to give us a minute right now to pray for that. Would you pray for that for yourself, for, for God's spirit to be inspiring you today with the words that he has written? Uh, anyone else excited to meet with the living God? We, we are meeting with the king of heaven and earth in this sermon series called Kingdom Logic. And, and last week, we saw in this study of Mark 9 and 10, the most important lesson there is to learn about the kingdom. What is that most important lesson? That Jesus is the king of the kingdom. That is the most important lesson about the kingdom of God. Jesus is the king of the kingdom. Now you might be saying, wait, wait a minute. It's the kingdom of God. Shouldn't God be the king of the kingdom of God? Yes, absolutely. God is the king of the kingdom of God. And Jesus is the king of the kingdom of God. Because Jesus is God in the flesh come to dwell among his creation. And that was the message we saw on the Mount of Transfiguration last week. That Jesus isn't just a guy. He's not even a really special guy like Moses and Elijah. He is unique in that he is God the Son come to dwell among his creation. And the cloud of God's majestic presence announces that on the Mount of Transfiguration. And so we come here today and we worship him and we are in awe of him. Now today... We're going to learn an important spiritual lesson for living in the kingdom. Last week, we saw that Jesus is the king of the kingdom of God. This week, we're going to see this very important kingdom lesson, and that is that spiritual victory only comes through faith in the king, King Jesus. 
right? Spiritual victory in the battles that we face in life, in the spiritual battles that we face in life, only comes through faith and trust in King Jesus. Have you experienced any spiritual failure this week? Are there any spiritual battles that you've lost this week? Right, take a minute. Maybe the, the loss that you can think of is a failure to meet with God. You said, I'm going to meet with God every day in his word. It's going to look like this. And as you look back over the course of the last week, that didn't happen. Or maybe the failure that you're thinking about is one of prayerlessness. I'm going to bathe everything in prayer this week. And then as you think back, you can think of long stretches where there hasn't been any acknowledgement of God's presence. Or maybe the, the spiritual failure that you can think about this week is one of priorities. Yes, Jesus, you are going to rule and reign as the priority in every area of my life. And then as you think back over the course of this last week, you can think of ways in which people-pleasing has been your actual priority. Or, or in which gaining comforts has been your actual priority. Or maybe the spiritual failure that you are thinking about is one that has to do with your mouth and how you've used your words. You this week set out in order to have your words be all about praise and encouragement. But you can think of specific times in which your words have torn other people down behind their back or to their face. Or maybe the spiritual failure that comes to your mind has to do with lust. You want a pure mind and pure eyes, but you have looked at things this week that you know you shouldn't be looking at. Or maybe it has to do with coveting. You want to be completely content in the person of Christ, but there are so many times this week where you said, well, I'd be happy if. I'd be happy if. Have you experienced spiritual failure? Well, in our passage today, the disciples fail spiritually. And we want to look at their failure so that we can learn from it and have spiritual victory over the course of the week to come. Let's, let's recognize, yep, we acknowledged some spiritual failure this last week. Let's learn from that. Let's learn from the disciples' failure so that we can grow. In our passage today, it begins when Jesus is coming down from the Mount of Transfiguration. Who does he have with him? Right? Peter, James, and John are with him as they come down from that Mount of Transfiguration. And those three disciples have to have had the most astounding day of their lives, right? They met with Jesus up on the mountain when Jesus shone the glory of God. Then Moses and Elijah appear on top of the mountain, having been gone from the earth for 1,500 and 900 years, and they're hanging out with Jesus having a conversation. Then the glorious presence of God the Father comes in the cloud of presence and overwhelms them on top of the mountain and announces, this is God the Son come to dwell among his people. As they come down the mountain, they have to be on a spiritual high, don't you think? Talking with each other about all that they have experienced. And as they come down that mountain into the valley, what do they experience <laughs> they see the other nine disciples having been a part of spiritual failure, having experienced spiritual failure. And now arguing and fighting is taking place in the crowds that they come to. Look at verses 14 through 16. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. 
And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him, Jesus, and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? The disciples are arguing with a bunch of Jewish scribes. What is a scribe? An expert in the Old Testament law. And what we see from the scribes throughout the Gospels is they never believe in Jesus. They are constantly opposed to him and particularly opposed to this idea that he is the Messiah. And so no doubt as they are arguing, the disciples who have just experienced a failure that we're going to see in a second to cast a demon out of a boy are being mocked and ridiculed by the scribes. Look, you guys can't even cast out this demon. What, what is the point of following Jesus? Should you even be following Jesus? And they're arguing back and forth about these things. The disciples have failed spiritually, as we're going to see. There is arguing going on. And we ask, wouldn't it have just been easier and nicer for Jesus and the three disciples to stay up on the mountain and bask in the glory of God? Right? Wouldn't it have just been easier and nicer for them to stay up there in worship and radiance? Yes. Right? The answer is yes. It would have been easier and nicer. But that is not God's plan. And that is not the way Jesus leads us. By all means, he wants us to have mountaintop experiences where we worship God and meet with him and draw close with our fellow believers. But then he also calls us to go into the deepest valleys of the world around us in order to bring the goodness and the glory of God to those places. Right? He, he calls us as youth to go on a retreat where we have an opportunity to have a, a mountaintop experience with God and with our fellow students. And then he also calls us to go back to school on Monday into the darkness of that school and live out the light of Jesus' goodness in that place. He calls us to come together today in order to worship him, to meet with him, to express his goodness, to encourage each other, and then to go back to work on Monday into the valleys and bring the goodness of Jesus with us into those places. Right? Je Jesus calls us to those mountaintop experiences of worship of him. And he also calls us then to bring the goodness of Jesus into the deepest valleys in our society. That's his call in our life. And, and I also want to point out as we look at these verses... The disciples fail. As we're going to see in a minute, they fail spiritually at something... You, you also probably were able to think of spiritual failure from this last week. And, and there's going to be spiritual failures in our life. Like the scribes, there are sometimes people around us who want to criticize us in the midst of our failure. See, what, what is all of that going to church business? Right? What is all of that Jesus business in your life? You failed here. You failed here. And when that happens, when you experience that sort of criticism, let me encourage you not to hide it, not to cover over it, but just keep pointing to Jesus. The gospel message that we present isn't that we're good, therefore you should follow us. The gospel message that we present isn't our perfection. The gospel message we present is we're a mess. We're a sinful disaster, but there is one who's perfect. There is one who's awesome, and he came as our substitute. 
And so when there are those around you who want to be highly critical of you because you claim to be a Christian and yet look at this failure, look at this failure, own those failures. I'm not saying be proud of sin, but own those failures and then keep pointing to Jesus. Right? It's, it's not the gospel of my goodness. It's the gospel of his great goodness and the fact that he's been a substitute for me. Right? Keep pointing to him. Well, the scribes, are arguing with the disciples, and in this case, uh, probably mocking them about their failure. And we still haven't seen what that failure is. we got to read the next verse if we want to see their actual failure. And someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he was a, has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. The Bible is very clear that when someone has a demon or is demonized, that that can manifest itself in physical maladies. I'm thinking here particularly of the woman uh, from Luke chapter 13, who we are told had been bent over in the spine for 18 years because of demonic influence. And so we need to recognize that when a person has a demon, when a person is demonized, that person may experience some sort of physical maladies as a result of that. I also want us to recognize that the primary picture that we see throughout the Gospels is that physical ailment and spiritual oppression are two different things. In Mark chapter 1, when they bring the sick to Jesus and those who have a demon, those are two different categories of people. And Jesus heals the sick and casts the demons out of those who are oppressed. Most of the time within the scripture, physical illness is physical illness and not the result of oppression by a demon. I want us to understand this because we can begin to look at those who are sick and say, huh, you're demon-possessed. Oh, you've got a cold. You must have a demon. Your elbow's sore from too much pickleball. You've got a demon. Right? <laughs> that, that hit, it's hard, doesn't it? Yeah. Right? I, I want us to understand in the scripture, these things are usually separate. But the scripture also wants us to understand that when a person is demonized, it can manifest itself in physical ailment. And that is what we're seeing here as this boy experiences it in the worst possible ways that we can think of. Imagine what this dad has been through. Just take a minute and imagine what this dad has been through. The gospel of Luke tells us that this is his only child. And no doubt when his wife was pregnant, he had all sorts of dreams and thoughts about what life with his son was going to be like. And what did those dreams look like? They involved them playing games together. It, it involved him teaching some of the ways of manhood, maybe even teaching him the trade that he is in. It involved him training him in the worship of the God of Israel and them worshiping together. And instead of that, what has his experience been? His son has a demon that has made him mute, as we'll see later, also deaf, that regularly throws him into seizures so that he foams at the mouth. Again, as we'll see in a few verses, that has on various occasions tried to destroy the boy by throwing him into fire or into water. That's been his experience. Can you imagine the pain of that kind of existence? 
and how excited he must have been when he heard that Jesus was in the area. Right? Jesus, the one who can cast out demons, is in the area. And so, of course, he's going to bring his son there. Let's go. Jesus is here. He's the one who can cast demons out of people. When he arrives, Jesus isn't there. Jesus is up on the mountain. Well, that's okay, because the disciples are there, and the disciples have, on two different occasions, gone from town to town, weeks on end throughout Israel, proclaiming the kingdom of God, and what? Casting out demons. Right? The disciples have done this, and so he hands his son over to the disciples and says, yes, give him back to me. Cast this demon out and give him back to me. And the disciples take the boy, and they fail to cast the demon out. They fail to cast the demon out. Why do they experience this spiritual failure? I think the answer is because they tried to do this in their own self-effort. That's what we see throughout this passage. They try to do it in their own strength and by their own power. Maybe we get some hints of that in verse 18. They were not able. Or verse 28. How could we not cast it out? We see even more clearly as we walk through the passage that they lacked faith as they went about this and they never prayed. And so they failed because they were involved in their own self-effort. It's easy to understand how they may have gotten caught up in their own ability to get this done. Earlier, Jesus sent out the twelve. And he specifically and specially gave them his authority. And the 12 went from town to town and they cast out demons. Then Jesus sent out the 72. And again, Jesus specially and specifically gave them his authority. And they went out and they cast out demons. So that in Luke chapter 10, the disciples gather back with Jesus. And what do they want to talk about? It's amazing. The demons obey us in your name. But apparently in all of this, what the, de- what, the, what the disciples didn't grasp is that all of the power and authority was in Jesus, not in them and the way they were going about it. It's very possible that when this dad brought his son to them, they said, oh, casting out demons. Yeah, this is our thing. We've done this from town to town. Here we go. We'll do it like we've always done it. And it didn't work. They failed. Why? Because they sought to do it in their own efforts, their own power. We will always experience failure in the spiritual battles in our life if we approach them through our own efforts. Now listen, we can gain victory in other places. Uh, I've seen churches who have gained attendance victory, grown very large all through their own self-efforts. And then put on symposiums and conferences about how you too can go through these steps in order to grow your church very large. But if we want genuine revival in which people's minds and hearts are transformed by the Spirit of God, that can't be done through self-effort. I've seen people reform their speech in certain settings so that others think more of them. But if we ever want our tongues to be fully devoted to the Lord, that can never happen through self-effort, right? No man can tame the tongue. I I have seen people 
have victory in gaining all of the comforts that the world offers. But if we ever want the kind of contentment and peace and joy that we were made for, that can never be attained through self-effort. And so we recognize every time we seek to gain spiritual victories through our own effort and our own power, there will be failure instead. Right? We, we might have victories in all kinds of other areas, but when it comes to spiritual battles and spiritual victory, you can never attain that in your own efforts and your own power. Instead, it has to be by what? Right? Faith. Spiritual victory comes through faith in Jesus. And Jesus is about to teach them this. And he answered them, oh, what? Faithless generation. How long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy. And he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked the father, how long has this been happening to him? Right, don't you wonder what's going through the father's mind at this point? Like, uh, is that important? How long? Like, let, let's get after this. Jesus asked him, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. This has been going on a long time. And it was often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, right? If you can, all things are possible for the one who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. Jesus begins this discussion by saying, oh, faithless generation, how long am I to bear with you? Th think about Jesus' relationship to this generation. He has calmed the raging sea. He has cast out legion, the most powerful demonic force in the area. He has raised the dead. He has brought sight to the blind. He has given hearing to the deaf. He has taken a few loaves of bread and multiplied them to feed thousands upon thousands of people. And what is the response of his disciples? They're in a boat with one loaf of bread and they say, how are we ever all going to eat off of one loaf? They have no faith. Jesus says, are you still hard-hearted? That's Mark's word for lacking faith in Jesus. Are you still so hard-hearted, he says to his disciples. Think about his reaction, the reaction of his hometown. He's healed all kinds of people, hundreds and hundreds of people, all around his hometown region. And when he comes to his hometown, what is their reaction to him? Wait, don't we remember this kid when he was young? Aren't his brothers and sisters here among us? We don't buy this. We don't believe in this guy. What was the reaction of the Jewish leaders? They saw miracle after miracle. And a little later, when Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, they all recognize Lazarus has come back from the dead. And what is their reaction? How do we kill Lazarus? And how do we kill Jesus? There's no faith. No faith. Jesus' disciples have been taught the lesson week after week after week, month after month, live by faith in the Son of God. Live by faith in the Son of God. And here they are, they have a demon to cast out, and they have no faith, and they don't even bother to pray. Come on, guys. How long? 
Worse yet, the scribes are busy criticizing and arguing. Who are the scribes? They're the experts in the Old Testament law. If there was anyone that should have been excited about the presence of Messiah, anyone who should have welcomed him with open arms and cleared the way for him, it is these scribes who instead constantly reject him and constantly want him dead. Jesus says, how long? How long are we going to go on in this faithless condition? When is somebody going to have faith? And then he begins to work with the dad. Okay, how long has this been going on? And what is the dad's reaction ultimately? Jesus, if you can, will you help? Oh, you know Jesus is going to capitalize on this, right? If you can? Are you kidding me? I am the king of heaven and earth, if you can. Do you believe is the question. Are you a part of the faithless generation or do you believe? And what is the dad's response? I do believe. Help my unbelief. How many of us need to cry out to God with that prayer request today? I do believe in you, Jesus. Help those moments of unbelief. I do believe in you, Jesus. Help me to daily depend upon you in faith. I do believe in you, Jesus. Help those areas of my life where I'm not living by faith to become areas of my life where I am completely living by faith. I believe. Help my unbelief. Is this man's faith superstar level faith? Right? I do believe. Help my unbelief. No. He doesn't have superstar level faith. He has uh, enough faith that we might call it the size of a mustard seed. But the power isn't in faith. The power is in Jesus. And faith as small as a mustard seed can bring the mighty hand of the king of heaven and earth to work in a situation. And that is what this man has. And so Jesus is now going to act when it comes to spiritual battles in our lives, there's never victory in self-effort. There's only victory in faith-filled dependence on the Son of God. Faith-filled dependence on the Son of God. Well, how do we know if we have faith-filled dependence on the Son of God? We have spiritual battles in our lives. We had them last week. We're going to have them this week. How do we know that we're not tackling those things in self-effort, but instead are filled with faith in Christ? The answer is our prayer life. Right? The answer is our prayer life. Faith manifests itself in our prayer life before the Lord. And Jesus is going to teach them that. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mutant deaf spirit, I command you to come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse. So that most of them said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up and he arose. Uh, the Greek here is actually raised him up and he arose. Twice they use the word for resurrection here. He raised him up and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Jesus sees that a great crowd is coming around and he casts out the demon. I want you to recognize that the demon here probably understands that he is going to be able to do harm. 
He, he gives this boy a seizure in order to harm him, in order to damage him. But ultimately, while the demon is seeking the boy's harm, he ultimately brings greater glory and majesty to Jesus because he draws a crowd that has an opportunity to witness Jesus casting him out. The demon seeks to do damage. God uses it for ultimate good. Anybody ever heard a story like that before? Right, where Christ is put on the cross in order to do ultimate damage and ultimate good comes through that. Jesus, as I mentioned, it says he raised the boy and he arose. There's intentional resurrection language here in order to help us understand the boy's life wasn't his. During this time of demonic oppression, he is living in a way that isn't the life God designed. But when Jesus casts this demon out, he raises him up to the kind of life that we're designed to have and presents him back to his father, Luke's gospel says. I don't think that means he just introduced him to dad. Like he gives him back, fully restored, here he is. Because oh, Jesus brings life out of death. He brings resurrection. The only way that we can experience this kind of spiritual victory in our lives is by putting away self-effort and self-work and instead filled with faith, trusting in Jesus. And we recognize we are people of faith when we have prayer lives that resemble that faith. When we have prayer lives that are seeking after God as the first thing we do and the greatest thing we do when it comes to the spiritual battles that we face in life. When Jesus says, this kind comes out only by prayer. He's not talking about some subclass of demons that come out only by faith and prayer. And then there's these other classes of demons that you can go ahead and take care of those by yourself. Right? The word that he uses here for kind is the word from which we get our word genus or, or we might think species. And so he says here, this species that you call demons comes out only by prayer. You have no power and no authority in your own strength to do anything with this. This only happens by prayer, by faith-filled prayer before God. Jesus says, guys, there, there's no spiritual victory in your own strength. Spiritual victory, whether we are talking about casting out demons that have demonized a person or whether we are talking about standing against the kind of temptations that the enemy brings into your life, like lying and lust and gossip and, and hatred, whatever it is, if we want to stand against those things and win the spiritual battles, have victory in spiritual battles, it is about faith-filled prayer before our God. Faith-filled prayer before our God. I want to emphasize again, we can have victory in other areas that aren't spiritual without ever praying. Some of the richest people on this planet have had all sorts of victory when it comes to accumulating possessions and have never prayed once in their life. There are all sorts of people who are extremely popular in our world, popular within the media, who don't acknowledge God in any way. There are all sorts of people who do well at school, get promotions at work, who never pray once. 
It is possible to have victory in all sorts of other areas without ever praying or seeking God in faith. But when it comes to spiritual victories, those only come by faith in King Jesus and coming before him in prayer. They only come in that. Is there some way that you need to prayerfully place your faith in Jesus for spiritual victory in your life? Is there, is there some way as you sit here this morning where you've been battling and battling, maybe sometimes in your own strength, your own will, your own effort, and you're like, I, I haven't been prayerful in this. I need to pray. Maybe it's in your marriage, those of you who are married. Have you been seeking victory, beauty, intimacy in your marriage through your own efforts or primarily through prayer? Those of you who are parents, it is a huge challenge to raise kids and it is a spiritual challenge to raise kids. Are your lectures and rules your primary weapons in that battle? Or is getting on your knees before the Lord your primary weapon in that battle of raising children? When it comes to the church, are we primarily seeking to reach Scott County and the surrounding areas through our own wisdom and our own initiatives? Or by getting on our knees before the Lord and seeking him? When it comes to the sin that pops up in your life again and again, the one that Hebrews refers to as the sin that so easily entangles, you know the one the one that you've been battling for years, is your primary uh, battle against that sin one of self-effort, one of willpower? Or is it one of seeking the Lord in prayer? If there's any area of your life where you've been trying to handle it in your own strength, and today, as we read about the disciples' failure, you say, I need to pray. I need to pray. I need to pray. I need to be fervent in prayer before the Lord. We're going to give you some extra time today in order to begin that prayer. And we're going to give you some people to pray with if you want. In just a few minutes, there are going to be some prayer ministers who are around the outside of the worship center. And they would love to pray with you about anything that you need prayer for today. Any battle that is going on in your life, any area where you say, no, I I can't win this. Unless the Lord fights the battle. I can't win this without King Jesus. Unless I place my faith and my trust in King Jesus. There are going to be people around the outside of the worship center in just a few minutes who would love to be praying with you. Now, you you can also pray where you're standing. You can grab the person next to you and say, hey, I need you to pray with me about this. Right? They may be frightened at first, but they'll, they'll get used to it. But we're providing some people around the outside, and I'll make them wave their hands in a minute. Uh, for you to pray with today. But before we get to that time of prayer, we're going to go to the Lord's table. And isn't the Lord's table a weekly reminder to us of how useless self-effort is? Of how useless trying things in my own power is? And that ultimately, salvation is only through the work of Christ? Any, Any power and strength I have in this life is only through the work of Christ? We celebrate that at this table. And so I'd invite you to just take a minute and in the quiet of this moment, prepare your hearts to take the Lord's Supper today.